Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. I was at a Christmas party or a dinner party this past week, and we had all of us in the living room, and we were, we were gathered around playing a really cool game. I forget the name of it, though. What was the name? It was... Uh, Oh yeah, it was heads up. You know the thing where you have an iPad and you gotta you gotta guess and you gotta flip it up or down or whatever. That's a little challenging for our group, but um, as as we were as we were playing, I noticed that that two of the people in the room were shivering and they had blankets wrapped around them. I mean, because it was like seventy eight degrees in the room and so it was freezing, right? And and I made a comment. I go, well, you're sitting next to the fire. How could you be cold? And the truth came out, and I and I'm, I'm I got to be honest. I lost respect a little bit for the owner of the house just because they made a fire with this. <laughs> How many of y'all know what this is? This is what we call a fake log. I I came up with a new name, and my new name is Lazy Log. So, <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here, here's how this works. You stick it in the fireplace, and you, you put it with the tab up, and there's instructions. Light here, light here, light here. So you stick it in, you light the bag, and you let her rip, and she catches on fire, and you get three glorious hours of nothing but a flame. It is not beautiful. Here, okay, <laughs> here's the thing. You know what you get out of this log? Well, first off, you know what the log is made out of? It's made out of sawdust and wax. The wax is to catch it on fire. The sawdust is to keep it burning. And so for three glorious hours, you have a flame. Produces no heat. You can't cook anything over it because it'll kill you because of all the wax and all the junk in it. So basically, you, you have a, a fake fire. Now, if you buy these things, I'm only really joking, so don't be offended. Go buy them and knock yourself out. But here's the thing. This is a picture of, of what we're talking about today. It's Christians who give Jesus a bad name. Have you ever found out someone was a Christian after you've known them a while, and you're like, whoa, didn't see that coming? Anybody? I mean, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. You don't judge. I'm just saying, have you ever had that happen? You go, wow, I thought Christians were different than that. And we're not talking about like little minor things. We're talking like their life is nothing like their Christ. Someone once asked, or at least it's reported that someone once asked. Uh, we'll come back to this. Someone once asked um, Mahatma Gandhi, so why don't you become a Christian? Now, I, did not, I never found the source of this, okay? So I got to tell you, this is uh, urban legend at best. Or this is urban legend at worst, it's true at best. So, so McGon asked, why don't you become a Christian? And, and it's reported that he said, well, I would become a Christian, but I've known too many. He has said something to the effect of, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christian so much. Now, have you ever felt that way? I mean, if you're honest, have you ever felt that way? I really like Jesus, but I don't like Christians that much right now. Now look, this is not about me condemning you or condemning me. This is not us about bashing Christians. This is not about that at all. What this is really about is addressing the problem that we have today 
with Christians who are nominal Christians in name only and they look nothing like their Christ. But let's even get tighter than that. Let's not talk about them. Let's just talk about us. And let's not just talk about us. I'll talk about me and you talk about you. Fair enough? You deal with your heart. I'll deal with my heart. Because if each of us deal with our own heart, guess what? We're going to change and we're going to be different. And so the question is, why or in what ways are we not like our Christ? Well, a Christian is one who follows Christ. It was a somewhat derogatory term when, when, when Christians were starting to be labeled Christians. They were labeled Christians because they didn't really have a name for them. They didn't have, a, they didn't have an identity. You're just people who follow the way. You're, you're those who follow that Jesus. Okay, you're, you're Christians. And so a Christian is one who should be like Christ, who's supposed to look like Christ in the way we act, in the way we love, in the way we talk, in the way we, uh, in the way we think. I mean, we're supposed to identify with Christ. That's what baptism is, by the way. We're identifying with Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to die to ourselves and live for Christ. Right? So, so we know this, but fleshing that out has been somewhat tough. And so I want to talk to you about about specifically a couple of areas that we're not much like our Christ. First off, we're hypocrites. We say one thing and we do another. Now, to a degree, we're all hypocrites and we will always be hypocrites because we will never probably, unless you have, an, if you can show me different, I like to see it, we will never not live in the flesh. We will always have this body that we carry around. There will always be a, a, a difficulty in living what we believe. That will always be the case, but, but hypocrisy should not be the norm. It should be the exception in our life. And when we do find ourselves in hypocrisy, we ought to be honest about it. We ought to be able to say, look, I've been a hypocrite. I'm sorry. That's a humility that comes from Christ as well. But, but all of us have been turned off by someone who's been blatantly hypocritical. Because they're not like the Christ, but they talk a good game. It's like a log that says it's a fire, but it's not really anything but a, but a flame. So hypocrisy is one thing. But then the next thing, and by the way, Jesus deals with hypocrisy constantly, primarily in who? In the, with the Pharisees. He deals with the Pharisaical hypocrisy constantly. Matthew chapter 15. Let's, let's look there. I want, to, I want to just hit this and I want to circle back around to it because there's something bigger in this passage that, that we need to see. But in Matthew chapter 15, uh, Jesus is, is uh, dealing with hypocrisies or with the hypocrisies of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were asking why his disciples don't wash with clean hands and they don't do certain traditions and rituals. And then Jesus begins to speak to them and he says, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Notice how Jesus switches this from the Pharisees talking about the disciples to Jesus talking about them. By the way, this is a little side bit. If you ever want to be a Pharisee, be careful because it will always turn the mirror back on yourself. Always. You can never get away from that. And then as Jesus begins to say this, he basically shows them how they're hypocrites. And in verse 8, he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He's saying, look, you talk a good game, but you don't live what you talk. 
I was listening to an interview, or actually not an interview, but it was a, uh, a public uh, discussion with, with a, a philosopher of sorts, and, and one of the kids in the college stood up and, and accused him of something or, or asked him a question and basically tried to trap him, and the speaker essentially turned it back on himself. He was talking about, uh, well, I'm not going to get into that because it, it wouldn't help us. So basically he turned it back on himself and he says, okay, what you're asking us to do, have you already done it? The guy goes, no. Okay, well, tell you what, you do what you're asking us to do, and then once you do it, then you turn around and you ask us to do it. Does that make sense? How many of us as believers have expected something of somebody else, and we haven't expected that same thing of ourselves? That's hypocrisy. Any hypocrites in the room? Can I see your hands? Yeah. Not meant to condemn you, just meant to point out the truth of the fact that all of us wrestle with that. Here's the thing. The world looks at us and they go, you're all hypocrites. Well, that's not true. I mean, historically and realistically right now, it's not true. I can point to a bunch of people who are not hypocrites now. But yes, at some point, we will all say something that we don't live out. That's an issue in our life that we should never strive to get right. Okay? We're going to come back to that. Here's the second thing that I think we wrestle with. Turn to the, book, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1. Because I think this is kind of the... This is, this is where, where, where I think Christians get into the most trouble. In John chapter 1, we've gone over this passage for the last couple of weeks in various ways and forms, but in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible tells us who Jesus is. It says, "...the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us." We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And then here's the last of this. Full of what? Grace and truth. I think that our greatest struggle is not so much with the hypocrisy, but, so, but with wrestling with the grace and truth equation. Because I think that we wrestle with this and we often get it out of whack. We also, we, we oftentimes based on the situation we're in or based on our own personality, lean to truth or lean to grace. And I think that oftentimes we find it hard to balance grace and truth. Notice the Bible says that Jesus was full, full of grace and truth. He was full of grace. Now, grace is a word that, that has its roots in the word kindness. So to give grace is to give kindness. It's been said like this, grace is when you get what you don't deserve. So to give grace is to give somebody what they don't deserve. It's to give somebody kindness, right? So the Bible says Jesus was full of grace. Can you think of examples in the scripture of this? What about the woman who was caught in adultery and she was drugged to his feet, uh, guilty as guilty can be, and the, the, the ones around uh, said, look, Jesus, she's guilty, the law says she must die. Now what are you going to do? What was his response? His response was to kneel down and start doodling in the sand. It was the original Etch-A-Sketch, right there. Jesus started it. You can mark that down. He starts drawing in the sand, and one by one, the Bible says that they dropped their rock, rocks and walked away. And then he looks up and he says, woman, where are your accusers? Now, why didn't Jesus just speak truth? Why didn't he just say, you know what, you're right. This woman is an adulterer. She should die. 
Because according to the law, she was an adulterer and she should die. She was guilty. Yet why didn't Jesus start with truth? Because he always starts with grace. The Bible says in Romans 2.4, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The kindness of God. It's God's grace that leads us towards repentance. The goal is not for people to be guilty. The goal is for people to find wholeness, to find salvation, to find, um, uh, to, to, to find hope, to find forgiveness. And if the goal is for them to find forgiveness, truth is not where you start. Grace is where you start. And I would challenge anybody to go in Scripture and find out where Jesus didn't apply grace first and then truth. So what is truth? Truth is absolute. It's right and wrong. It's, it's, it's this is what God has said and therefore this doesn't change. It's eternal. Truth is something that we don't, we don't invent and we don't create. Truth is something we discover. Truth is revealed to us through Jesus Christ, through His Word. And so the ultimate revelation of truth was what? It was Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, right? So we look at Jesus and we see that is truth. And so we have this, this, this continuum or we have this, 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 this situation every single day in our life where grace and truth seem to be at odds or where we have to often, we feel like we have to choose, should I give grace or should I give truth? Here's what I believe the Bible teaches. We never sacrifice truth on the altar of grace, and we never sacrifice grace on the altar of truth. They are not mutually exclusive. Somebody say amen, right? They are not mutually exclusive. They are tied together. Here's what you get if you give grace without truth. You lie to people to make them feel good. You go to the doctor because you've got an issue. The doctor looks and, and thinks to himself, ooh, this is cancer. But the doctor knows that you're kind of sensitive right now because you've dealt with this in the past in your family. So the doctor says, well, you know, um, you know let's just look at it for a while. And, and I'll tell you what, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe it's just a, a fatty cyst or something. You're, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Now, nobody would respect that doctor, right? Do you want the doctor to lie to you? Well, I mean, yes, but do you want the doctor? No. You go to the doctor. Doctor, what do I need? You want the doctor to tell you what you need because his job is to speak truth. But here's the thing. You don't want the doctor to just speak truth, right? What's the number one criticism of doctor? At least I'm assuming, I'm guessing. Bedside manner, right? You got a doctor who has the, the, the grace of an elephant. You're ugly. You're fat. Okay, there's the truth, right? You go, whoa, whoa, what a minute. I didn't come in here for that. I came in here because I wanted you to, to tell me what I needed, but, but I also needed you to kind of, you know, ease me into it. You're going to die. You got cancer. Goodbye. I mean, no, of course not. You want the doctor to have a balance of grace and truth. And you want him to start with grace because you want him to say to you, hey, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be with you. We're going to work on this. It, it, it may not work out exactly like we want, but I'm telling you, I'm going to fight with you. By the way, this is the problem. Is that the kind of doctor you want? That's the kind of Christian that Jesus wants. One like himself. Grace 
and truth. We err on the side of one or the other often. We often err... Well, actually, I can't say often because it all depends on your, it depends on your background. It depends on, on who you learn from. One of my most, one of our most important jobs as, as pastors of the church is to model a Christ-like life. The reason we have a family pastor and the reason we trust him in, in, in uh, teaching discipling and how to disciple and all those is because we expect our family pastor to model what it means to be a disciple and to follow Jesus, right? The reason we have a, 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 a children's minister who, who we, we say, okay, we're going to trust you to lead our kids because we're expecting them to model, right? You expect me to model. And so one of the hard things about our life is that we have these experiences where it's been modeled to us or we've seen either through our family or through churches we've been a part of, hopefully not here, but you know, we're not perfect, but we see how you're supposed to react and so we kind of build that into the way we live and sometimes it's, it's, airing on the, it, it's actually leaning on the side of truth or leaning on the side of grace. You'll know if you lean on the side of truth because you will come across as harsh and judgmental and arrogant a whole lot of times. I grew up in a church where it was very hard. I say grew up. I had a period of time at church where it was truth was the most important thing. Forget about your feelings. Truth, 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 truth. And as a result, I became judge and jury of a lot of truth. I became a, a Pharisee of sorts. It's not that I didn't care about you, but I just really didn't care about you because I wanted God to get the glory, and so I had to tell you what God said. But the... If you give grace without truth, you're just lying to people to make them feel good. If you give truth without grace, then you're going to tell what's right, but they're not going to hear you. So which do you want? Do you want to lie to people to make them feel good, or do you want to speak what's really true, but have them not hear you? No, how about we do it like Jesus? How about we step into the middle of grace and truth and say, I'm going to give you all grace I can give you. But I'm going to tell you all the truth I can give you as well. Because the two together make a very happy family. I just made up that last part. But, but it's true. You put truth in grace. You ever gone to the doctor and the doctor told you bad news, but in such a way that you left there feeling like there was actually some hope? Anybody? That's the goal. So Christian, is your life balanced with grace and truth? Do you give grace, which is identified as kindness... And do you give truth? Now, recently in the news, there was a, uh, there was a, a blunder by a well-known artist who um, was kind of pigeonholed or put into a corner and asked a very direct question. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a shame because this question was designed... I don't, I don't know, I can't judge the motive of the person asking the question, but, but, but I, I just don't think it was a helpful position to put her in. He asked her this question... And, and essentially said, what does the Bible say about, about homosexuality? Or no, actually, that's not what he said. He said, do you believe the Bible says that homosexuality is sin? That's what he said. And this singer, 22 years old, blundered it. I mean, she dropped the ball. She said, 
Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not really sure. I think people should read the Bible for themselves and discover what it says. And, and if they find out, they should let me know. Now, I suspect she probably had a better answer than that. Knowing her background and her history, she probably knew what the answer was. But because of the pressure of not wanting to offend and not wanting the firestorm of what would come after, she was probably answering that, hoping that she could just kind of sidestep the question. But guess what happened? People on both sides of the aisle attacked her. Because you did not agree with us, therefore, you failed me. And then Christians said, well, because you did not stand for truth, you failed God and you failed Christ. And so now she was in this very difficult position of not, do, not speaking grace and not, or not living grace and not speaking truth. And so it was like, ah, it's a bad position, right? Actually, she gave all grace. She didn't give any truth. So here's the thing. A couple things we learned from that. Number one... When you're in a position where you are cornered, don't sacrifice truth for grace because it will come back to bite you. Amen? It will always come back to bite you. Um, there's a lot of lessons that we can get off. I'm not going to go on that rabbit trail. Number two, you and I are daily, or if not daily, weekly put in a corner to make statements of truth that are still going to bite us, even if we answer with grace and truth. Right? Because that's the culture in which we live. We live in a hostile culture towards Christianity. And grace is, is equated to, or excuse me, kindness is equated to agreement. And that's not what kindness is. Just because you agree... Or, or just because you're kind doesn't mean that you agree. And we can talk about any topic. You know, do you like the way my spaghetti sauce tastes? Should I be kind or truthful? That's a tough one. There have been some things in, in our household that, that, that have been made that I suffered through for several years until I finally told the truth. And it came back to bite me. And it wasn't because it was bad. It wasn't like it was bad food. Everybody else liked it. I just didn't like it, but I just never told the truth. I sucked it up and I dealt with it. Literally sucked it up because that way it went down faster and I dealt with it. But, but, but once truth came out, it was like, why didn't you tell me, right? I, that just went off on a rabbit trail I probably shouldn't have. That's, I'm going to hear about that later. But, but we all deal with that, don't we? Do we do grace? No, it's both and. Some things aren't really that important, like, do you like this food? Do you not like this food? Some of those things are, 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 are you know, simple, basic, surface-level things, you know, just deal with it and go on. But some things are really hard, especially if you have any public position at all. You will be cornered. And there will be a few issues that you will have to draw a line in the sand on. And that is going to make you enemies and it's going to make you friends. But mark my words, if you don't stand with grace and truth, both sides will be enemies and not friends. So just do the right thing. Grace, truth. You know this deal with Kevin Hart? I just found out about this yesterday. Kevin Hart was going to, apparently going to uh, host the Grammys or something and... He, he, he's not able to do it now. It was his dream job, and he's not able to do it because he made a joke, I don't know, several year, three or four years ago, and that joke was offensive to one part of the, the, the crowd, and so they said, look, he's not qualified because he made a joke. 
And it wasn't like it wasn't like a rude joke. It was just it was just a comic comedic joke. But that's the culture which we live in. Everything you say makes you suspect to somebody thinking you're mean, somebody thinking you're unkind, somebody thinking you're you're uh, uh, arrogant, somebody think you're a know-it-all, somebody think you're religious. Am I right? That's the culture. So what do we do? And here, here's where I really want to get to. What do we do since we live in a culture where speaking grace and truth is going to get us in trouble even when we're trying to do the best we can to be honest and have integrity? Here's what we do. We don't worry about other people as much. And we start dealing with ourself and our heart. Because there's, there's a, a way that God has about speaking through us in those situations that are supernatural when we have let Jesus control our heart and have every access inside of our heart. Here's what Jesus said. Back to, uh, Matthew, back to Matthew 15. Are you all following me? I feel like I'm kind of skipping around this morning. I've got, I got a lot of... Uh, i got a lot that I want to give you at one time, and I, and I need to probably be a little more linear in thinking. So, um, Jesus said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Right? And then in verse 16, Peter's asking, Hey, explain this to me. And Jesus responds. First he responds, Are you still so dull? I love that. Then he said, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then the body, then out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Jesus is explaining the way we work, and he's saying, look, if there's an issue in your life, that issue needs to be addressed internally first, not externally. Because we're really good about fixing the outside and ignoring the inside. That is why so many times we wrestle with the same thing over and over and over because we've treated the symptom and not dealt with the problem. Folks, the problem of you and the problem of me is the heart. If you're wrestling with sin, it is a heart issue. It's not a body issue and it's not a mental issue. It is a heart issue because it all starts in the heart. The Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we do what is in our heart. We say what is in our heart. So at core to this issue is what will Jesus do with your heart? Have you let him change the heart? And so when we get to an issue, we get to a situation where we have to speak truth and or we have to be full of grace and speak truth. We don't worry about the result of that because we have yielded to Jesus in our heart. And we know that whatever comes out is going to be holy. It is going to be good. It is going to be helpful because Jesus is the author of it, because it came out of a heart that has been transformed by him. Does that make sense? And so where we need to spend our time and spend our focus is letting Jesus transform the heart. So I don't have to worry about you. I just got to worry about me. Now, this isn't to say that I don't encourage you and sharp, sharp, challenge you. No, you do that to me and I do that to you. But by and large, I don't have to worry about being a, a judgmental person because I'm, I'm dealing with my own heart. 
And my heart is the issue. And once, the, once my heart is dealt with, then whatever comes out, it's coming out because God is bringing it out. Right? Because He has controlled my heart. Here's the thing about our heart. Most of us in this room have said to God, God, have my heart. Here it is. And we've given Him the keys to the big rooms. But we haven't necessarily let Him into the garage or to that closet or even worse, that drawer. Do y'all have that drawer too? You know what I'm talking about, right? That drawer. That drawer is the drawer where everything goes to die. That drawer is that drawer that if there's no other place for it and you can't, you don't have the courage to throw it away, you put it in that drawer. And there are things in that drawer that have been there since 1972. But they ain't going to be thrown away because we may use them someday. If we lose something in our house, the very last spot is, let's go to that drawer or that closet. Why? We go there last because we don't really want to go there. It tells us stuff about ourselves that we're, a, we're ashamed of, right? But we go to that drawer, we open it up. It's, oh, this is a magnet I got back when I was 10 years old. I got it at a little craft fair. Oh, we need to keep that. We need to use that someday, right? Oh, this pencil is broken and it has no lead, but, but I'm going to buy lead one day. I'm going to put it back in there. Oh, look at this, an eraser. Oh, we might need an eraser someday because we don't use pencils now, but one day we might. So let's put it back in there. I mean, oh, look, it's a, it's a paper clip that doesn't, it's broken, but, but you know what? Let's just keep it in here. You know what I'm talking about, that drawer? How many of y'all have that drawer? Be honest. We got, or, you know, it, it, could be, it could be a drawer or a closet, whatever. Here's what, here's what is, is asked of us, okay? When Jesus, when Jesus offers to, for us to follow Him, dying to self means giving Him access to that drawer and to that closet and to that Room. So I want you to picture your heart with a bunch of rooms and a bunch of doors. And there's, a, there's a, a lock on each one. And you have this load of keys. And I want you to imagine yourself saying to Jesus, Jesus, here are the keys to every space of my heart. Every space. I'm going to let you open any door and any drawer you want. Now why in the world would we hold some of those doors from Him? Well, because some of those doors cause us, there's too much pain in there. Because behind some of those doors, there, there are things that we cherish. We don't want to ever admit it this way, but they're idols. And we don't want God to take that, so we're just going to lock it away and kind of shield Jesus from that, right? There are some feelings and emotions that, that even though we're deeply hurt because of them or by them, we're not going to let Jesus deal with them because that would mean that we would have to let go. And oftentimes those are doors of bitterness and unforgiveness. And if we let Jesus into that room, we're going to have to forgive somebody who doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And guess what? Jesus addressed that specifically. He said, listen, you can't know me if you're not going to forgive others. You want to know my forgiveness? You've got to give forgiveness. Why would he say that? Because he says, look, I've forgiven you of the greatest of offense. How can you hold someone else of a lesser offense still guilty? I don't know about you, but those are the doors that I would just want to keep locked, right? 
Jesus, you can have my dreams, you can have my hopes, you can have my money, you can have my time, but I want my hurt. Let me keep my hurt. And Jesus says, why in the world would you want to keep the hurt? It's like holding on to cancer, expecting that somehow by holding it, you're going to get better. And here's the real lunacy of it. We're saying, God, I want wholeness, but I'm not going to let you do what is going to bring me to wholeness. And God goes, look, I can't give you wholeness until you let go of the hurt. But see, Jesus is full of grace and truth. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So Jesus, with, with kind of kid, kid gloves, I guess, he, he moves us through this process. And in due time, as we realize, God, I've got to give you all things, we, we yield to him in our heart. We say, okay, God, it's all yours. And then we find the, the hope. And then we find the healing. And then we find the happiness. Then we find the joy. And we say to ourselves every single time, duh, why didn't I do this 10 years ago? Why did I wait so long? Can I get a witness? It's true. So here's what I want to say. Ecclesiastes tells us, follow the Lord when you're young. Trust the Lord when you're young. And I'll tell you, trust the Lord when you're young. Don't, don't have the attitude of, I'm going to go try life, and then if it doesn't work out, I'm going to come back to Jesus. That's just stupid. I mean, that's just dumb. I mean, I don't want to offend you, but that's just, it makes no sense. That's like going, you know what? I know I'm a millionaire, but I want to live like a beggar. I want to eat out of the garbage can for a while, and then I'm going to come back to my millionaire. I don't know anybody that would say that that makes sense. I'm not calling you dumb. I'm saying living like that is dumb. It just, it doesn't make sense. Trust in the Lord while you're young. Do what he says while you're young, and the Bible teaches that our life will have an alt a, a, a totally different trajectory that's not full of the same kind of hurt and pain that it is if you're disobedient to him. So let's wrap this up. Let's bring this kind of, kind of to a... To, ooh, I got lots of time. Never mind. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's Christmas. So, so what do we do? Okay, we got a, a bunch of issues here, Okay. We have the one, the issue that is public, answering questions, having conversations, being in a relationship where, where there's a need for grace and truth, not either or. So what do you do there? You're faithful to giving grace and speaking and living truth. That's what you do. And you, listen, it takes great courage to be a person of truth. But I'm going to tell you a secret. The more of a truth teller you are, the easier it becomes to be a truth teller. I had somebody, um, I had somebody call me. I may have shared this before. If I have, keep it yourself because I want to hear the story again. So I, I had somebody call me a couple of months ago, and they were sharing me this 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 situation in their life. It was obvious what they needed to do, but they just they wanted some advice, and so I said, well. This is what you need to do. And here, here's what they said. They said, you know what? That's why I called you. Because I knew you would just tell me the truth, even if it hurt. And i got to tell you, that kind of made me feel good. I want to be known as somebody who tells the truth. But I don't want to be known as a Pharisee. And I don't want to be known as a know-it-all. I want to be known as somebody who you can come to and say, look, this is the issue. Shoot straight with me. But be gentle. 
And so I want to be able to say, here's grace, here's kindness, but here is truth. Yes, you really are as ugly as you... No, I'm just kidding. Here, here is truth, right? That was a joke. If we speak grace and truth, the more we, or excuse me, the more we are grace and truth, it takes courage, but the more we're able to be grace and truth, you will find greater respect in that alone than you will in any other area of your Christian life. Do you agree? Because the world is in desperate need of people who are full of grace and truth. And guess what? As Christians, that's who we are. Here's the second thing. The way we become men and women of grace and truth is by allowing God to transform our heart through the power of the gospel. He can only transform our heart when we allow Him access to our heart and not just some places, but all the places. The Bible says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right. So the way we are transformed in our heart is by allowing God access. Now, how do we allow God access? Here's how we do it. First off, we let God's Word become a part of us. We read God's Word. We, we, we study God's Word. We don't just read it and go, okay, that's a cool story. We read it and we say, okay, now what am I going to do with what Jesus says? I think maybe that's a missing link sometimes. We read it just for, for information. We don't read it for transformation. We should go slower through His Word. And we should, we, should, we should check the condition of our heart to every single thing Jesus says. Okay, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of tradition? God, am I, am I, what, what command am I breaking for the sake of tradition? What, what, am I, what do I need to deal with in my heart? And then God reveals that, and then we say, okay, so, so what am I going to do now to change that? I mean, you, you do the internal change, God, but I want to I play my part as well. I want to be obedient to what you say. Because the way God changes us so many times is by calling us to action. Forgiveness. You can forgive somebody in your heart, but the reason you ask for forgiveness, or vice versa, oftentimes verbally, is because it solidifies and it puts into, it, it puts into to, to something real and tangible what happened internally. That's why, that ha that's why we do that, right? Why do, you, why do you make amends? Like, like if you've got to make amends, why do you, why do you uh, uh, bring restitution or whatever? Because that's something tangible to reflect what's gone on the inside. And the process of doing that actually solidifies what's gone on inside of our heart. And so we ask God, change our heart. And as He changes our heart through His Word, we become more of a person of grace and truth. How else do we do it? Well... We do it by letting other people speak into our life. Be very careful. Don't let people who... Be careful of letting someone who is not walking with Jesus have a deep access to your heart. The Bible tells us to guard our heart. Be very careful who you give access to. Now, you're not going to find anybody perfect, but you should hold a high standard for someone who you're going to let have access to your heart. Now, you don't have to have that same standard for learning. I learn stuff from believers and non-believers every single day. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the deep things of your heart. 
be very careful, but let other people have access there. What does that mean? That means you have to have the, heart, the mind of Christ, which is a humility. It means you have to be able to let somebody speak into you. Not always easy. It's not always something that, that, that I practice. I tried to, but it's not, I mean, we don't always get it right. But we're letting somebody else speak into us because that is giving them access and God is using their work inside of us. And then the third thing I would say, just as a, just as a, uh, uh, this is not necessarily biblical, but as we, as we do, um, as we do good, that has a way of changing our heart as well. Because it, because it, let me say it differently. If we're dealing with something in our heart, like let's say we're dealing with, uh, let's say we're dealing with prejudice. One of the ways I would deal with changing my heart is putting myself in a situation where I have to choose to be prejudiced or to love people. Does that make sense? So we're forcing ourselves into that situation going, okay, I'm going to make a choice and I'm going to put it to the test. Okay, I'm going to choose to love people instead of be prejudiced. So just a couple of things that I want to share with you today. Um, At this point, you might be saying to yourself, man, I'm, I'm like horrible. I mean, I'm guilty of so many of those things. I've done this and I've done that and I've, I've been a person of truth and I haven't been very graceful. I've, I've been a person of grace and I haven't really spoke truth. At this, this is the point where the accuser of the brethren can slip in. And, and today will have the total opposite effect that it's intended to have. Today is not about pointing out your, your sin, and today is not about me showing you how wrong or, or how hypocritical. Today is about holding up a standard of Jesus and saying, you know what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By the way, you are part of that all. You and I are part of the all, because Jesus said we're part of the all. So it's not about condemning your own self, and it's not about letting the accuser condemn you. It's about going, you know what? This, my wife hates when I say this, but this is what it is. I mean, it is, right? It is what it is. I can't change it. I can only change it from this point on. So if you find yourself in condemnation because you, 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 you either have or haven't done some of these things and, and you go, man, that's horrible, I feel so bad. Don't try to fix that. Let, let God's grace be sufficient for you. Because, by the way, you need His grace as much as that person needs you to give them their grace. Let God's grace fill that brokenness and then say, from this point on, I'm going to do things different. But I'm going to do things different, not just by changing the outside. I'm going to do things different by letting God transform my heart. And I'm going to give myself the same grace that, I, that, I, that Jesus wants me to give to others. I um, have had opportunities in my life where I've, I, I think, you know, when, when, I, when I go back and I start feeling the condemnation of, man, I didn't treat that person very well in 12th grade, and I didn't treat that person very well in my... You know, I was, a, I was a youth minister, and I remember one particular instance, I just didn't handle a situation right, and it was just eating on me. And I'm like, man, what do I do? How do I fix that? 
And it, and it just, you know, I came to the realization, I can't fix it because it's done, but I can, if God opens up the door, I can address it and then move on. So actually, one particular situation, I actually had an opportunity to, to say, hey, you know what? When, the, when we were on this particular thing, I didn't handle that situation right. And you know what the person said to me? Oh, I don't even remember that. But whew, good. <laughs> good. I didn't scar you for life then. But at least I got an opportunity to say what I needed to say. But here's the deal. I don't need to go back and find everybody because that would be impossible. Does that make sense? I deal with it if I can. If God brings it around, deal with it. And if He doesn't, just move on from this day forward. You need grace and truth as the center of your relationships. But it's the hardest thing that you're going to do. Because you're going to be judged either way. But if I'm going to be judged, I at least want to be judged being right on God's terms. How do you fall in this? Reflect a little bit. Do you err on the side of grace? Or are you more of a truth person? Come back to the middle. Let the kindness of God that you've experienced be the kindness that you give. If you're not given enough truth, have the courage to speak truth. Will you close your eyes and bow your head with me? You know, I started off with a log, with a fake log. And I said, this is, this is a representation of so many Christians. They're, they're just a flame. They don't give heat. They don't give warmth. They don't give comfort of the sound of the crackling and the smoke. They're all by themselves. They're not coupled with other logs. I want to ask you today, if this log is a representation of you, to choose now to let God build in your life something real and something of substance. But you know that it's a lot messier when you use real wood. It's a lot more work when you use the real thing. There's there's a lot more effort to get it going and to keep it going. But there's so much more satisfaction. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said, that the Father, that, that the world would see your good works and glorify the Father, which is in heaven. Jesus, help us to be salt and light. Help us to be a real fire. Help us to be full of grace and truth and in that order. God, help us to acknowledge our hypocrisy and to, to humbly work through that. Father, I pray that our lives would not be a deterrent to anyone coming to faith. May we not be a stumbling block. May we be an invitation.
find out more about First Baptist Church, go breeze at FBC.